the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, as we celebrate together this narrative of Jesus' resurrection. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you in your pew, and the pew right in front of you should be a black copy of the Bible. Please feel free to take one of those. John chapter 11. When we read the narrative of the text of Scripture in the Gospel of John, John has centered his entire narrative around this eternal truth that occurs, appears at the very end. This is John's hope for those who would read this narrative. John says that he has written these things. Listen at the word of the Lord in John chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the purpose for why John has written this entire narrative. And friend, we would plead with you today and pray and hope, along with John, that if you have never trusted in Christ, that you have never repented of your sins and believed in Jesus, that you would hear this narrative from the text of Scripture, and you too might believe in Christ. John noted at the very end, his goal was that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and he noted that there were several other miracles or signs that Jesus had accomplished that are not written for us in this book. This entire narrative hinges, swings, is centered around seven signs. You'll remember the first sign in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, Jesus turns the water into wine. This is the seventh sign in the text of Scripture, here in John chapter 11, around which the entire narrative of this whole book hinges. Here in this narrative, the Bible tells us at the very beginning that there is a friend of Jesus by the name of Lazarus, and this Lazarus is ill. He is sick, and there is a plea on behalf of Lazarus's family that Jesus would make his way to the little community of Bethany and come and visit Lazarus. See, friends, Lazarus's family believed that in the hands of Jesus were power to heal. They knew that in the hands of Jesus was the power to heal, not because Jesus was a gypsy traveling from town to town performing miracles. No, they knew that in the hands of Jesus was the ability to create life out of nothing. Why? Because he, and he alone, is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. They knew, this family of Lazaruses knew that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. So as the narrative would go, Jesus actually is not able to make his way out until the little community of Bethany, and we pick up with the narrative in John chapter 11, verse 17. 
Would you hear the word of the Lord? Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. So it's interesting that John would give us a few narratival clues to pull us in that we might understand there's something exceedingly interesting about to happen. One of those clues is noted right there in verse 17. John tells us that Jesus does not arrive into Bethany until after how many days of of Lazarus' passing? Four days. Lazarus has now been dead or in the grave for four days. This is an interesting notation by John. For in the Jewish mindset, there was this hope of resurrection up until the third day. In fact, in uh, some of the rabbinic literature, there was this idea that one spirit would hover over oneself for up to three days, and after three days, all hope had been lost about any idea of resurrection. And in fact, if you go to the very end of this narrative, in verses 41 and 42, the Bible even tells us essentially to Jesus, Lord, what are you doing? His body is already decomposing. For Lazarus' family, for John the narrator, Jesus has arrived at a moment too late. Jesus has arrived at a moment in which all hope has vanished. Perhaps you're here this morning, and like Lazarus' family, you too find yourself in a situation such as this. Perhaps you're here this morning, and for a variety of different reasons, you sense that the circumstance that you find yourself in in life that all hope has vanished, that there is no other earthly means of provision for you to enjoy life. Don't give up on this story. I want you to wait to the end to hear Jesus' perspective on the loss of hope in your life, in my life, and in our hearts. Four days. Jesus shows up in a helpless situation. But Jesus also had somewhat of a journey. Of course, it was just roughly two miles outside of Jerusalem. But walking two miles across the valley and some hills for two miles isn't necessarily all that easy of a trek, of a journey. But Jesus makes that journey. And look what the Bible says happens when Jesus arrives here in verse 20. So when Martha heard, that's one of Lazarus' sisters, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha meets Jesus, verse 21, and she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus shows up in a hopeless situation, but hear the words of Martha. Martha rightly understands who Jesus is. Martha, under, Martha understands this, the uniqueness of Jesus. Martha understands that in Jesus there is power. And so she exclaims it. Martha is not so much as making a statement of grief here as if, oh my goodness, Jesus, you're a day late and a dollar short. What are you doing? More for Martha, it was a statement of faith. It was a statement of conviction. It's an affirmation from Martha to Jesus of exactly who Jesus Christ truly is. Martha believes. Martha trusts that Jesus and Jesus alone has an ability that no one else has. What is that ability? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha believes Jesus has power of life. So she exclaims it. But not only that, verse 22, Martha also affirms in her faith that she knows that you can ask whatever you will of God and that God will grant that to you. That is, that God will grant to you what you ask according to His will. So we see Martha in this narrative, in this story, as being a woman of deep, abiding faith. Martha trusted in Jesus. And look how Jesus responds to her friends. Look at the words of Christ that he gives to her. Verse 23, and Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now what a perplexing statement on behalf of Jesus. Perhaps we think Jesus is somewhat tone deaf, if you will. Jesus doesn't quite know how to read an audience. Jesus doesn't quite know how to understand the situation. I'm sure each of us have been in that moment where we have opened our mouths and inserted our foot. Perhaps this is what Jesus is doing. We might have expected Jesus to say, Martha, I understand that your brother has died. And I'm grieved by the loss of life. Martha, I, I deeply loved your brother. You know, your brother and I had some really interesting exchanges. We know from the text of Scripture here, by the way, that Lazarus and Jesus had a deep relationship. Chapter 11, verse 1, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, and this, the Bible tells us, is one whom the Lord loved. Jesus loved Lazarus. So you can imagine that Jesus and Lazarus had had a number of conversations, so we might anticipate that Jesus in this moment might reflect with Martha over some of those conversations that he had had with Lazarus. You might expect Jesus in, in some measurable way to put his arm, to, arm around Martha and pull her in close and, and say, Martha, I understand. 
But Jesus responds with this statement. Martha, your brother will rise again. Listen at the hope of Christ in this statement. Listen at the certainty of Jesus in this statement. There is no ambiguity on the lips of Jesus in terms of the eternal state of Lazarus' life. Jesus says in this hopeless situation, your brother will rise again. But notice how Martha interpreted Jesus' statement. Is Martha picking up on Jesus' hope? Is Martha rightly understanding what Jesus is communicating? Look what Martha says. Martha said to him, verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha still isn't quite sure what Jesus is talking about. Martha clearly doesn't understand that the words that Jesus has spoken in this moment are words of hope, not for some undetermined period of time down the road. Martha misunderstands that the words that Jesus has spoken to her in this moment are words of hope for now. They are words of hope for this moment in Lazarus' life. They are words of hope in the immediacy. And Martha misses it. We also learn a little bit about the Jewish mindset from Martha's statement here. Lord, I know that he will rise again on the last day. We learn from this statement of faith that in the Jewish mindset that there was a hope of resurrection. So Jesus, in this moment, is speaking a statement of truth into a situation in which Martha has a little bit of information. Martha has a little bit of understanding, but she completely misses what Jesus is ultimately pointing her toward. And friend, Martha's experience with Christ in every measurable way is experience that every person in this room has ever had with Jesus. Whether this morning you have trusted in Christ and you know that you are in, indeed a believer or perhaps you're here this morning as a skeptic. Every one of us have experienced a moment or a season in life where, like Martha, we have completely misunderstood exactly who is Jesus. Martha misses it. She doesn't understand it. At this point, she is missing exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate to her. And in that moment, with great clarity, Jesus speaks into the moment. And when Jesus speaks into the moment, 
you'll see in just a few moments, Martha clearly understands. Look at Jesus' response to Martha in verse 25. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever believes in me shall never die. Now notice what Jesus does here. Jesus moves from the experience of Lazarus to the experience of Martha. And he does this through the imagery of death and life. What is the experience of Lazarus at this moment? Death. Lazarus has indeed died. Friends, in this text of Scripture, Jesus is not erasing the reality that every one of us will indeed face death, save the return of Christ. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that there is a day for everything. And friend, whether you believe it or not, the eternal God has woven into the very fabric of your life an expiration date. And every one of us here this morning have that expiration date stamped upon our lives. And Jesus moves from the experience of Lazarus, death, to the experience of Martha, life. Look what he says again very closely. I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die. Who do you think Jesus is talking about in this text of Scripture? Jesus is talking about Lazarus, right? Has Lazarus died? Yes, Lazarus has died. But notice what Jesus is saying to Martha about Lazarus' life. Though he die, yet shall he live. Can you imagine Martha in this moment? If she thought Jesus was a little crazy just a moment ago, you've got to be thinking at this moment, she's really thinking that the journey from Jerusalem out to Bethany has really exhausted Jesus. He's not thinking well. Perhaps he's dehydrated. Even though he die, yet shall he live? Under what authority does Jesus have a right to make such an exclamation? Well, don't forget those first words that Jesus uttered. See, friends, what Jesus is ultimately doing for Martha, what he will do for Mary in just a few moments in this narrative, and what Jesus at this very moment, by his word, through his spirit, is seeking to do for you and me, is Jesus is seeking to reorient our understanding of reality away from ourselves and toward him. There is only one way for Jesus to look at a hopeless situation and to say to Martha, even though your brother is dead, yet shall he live. And it has absolutely nothing to do with Jesus' prior relationship with Lazarus or with Jesus' current situation and relationship with Lazarus' family.
Jesus utters these words of eternal truth and hope. For he is the word of eternal hope and truth. Jesus seeks to move Martha's center of reality away from a hopeless situation and toward Jesus, who is indeed in every aspect the center of reality and hope for all of our lives. See, friends, there is no hope for Martha. There is no hope for Lazarus. And by extension, there is no hope for you or for me apart from this communication of truth on behalf of Jesus. The only reason this truth stands that there is a hope for resurrection for Lazarus and for you and for me is because of who Jesus Christ himself is. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. Now, friend, don't miss the point at which John makes this revelation in this narrative. If you've been reading through the book of John, we're not to the passion narrative yet, are we? In other words, the people who are rightly following Jesus on a daily basis, Jesus has dropped clues here and there. We might even make an argument that from the very beginning of the Gospel of John in John chapter in John chapter two, at that first at that first miracle, perhaps there Jesus has dropped a clue for them. And Jesus journeys. And Jesus heals the blind man. And there again, Jesus has dropped a clue as to exactly who he is. And while Jesus continues from moment to moment to make these revelations of exactly who he is, we're still in John chapter 11. So an understanding of resurrection on behalf of the disciples of Jesus is going to be very limited. And for sure, at this moment in the narrative, they are not understanding that Jesus is that suffering king who in just a few days' time would be the one who would hang on the cross and on that cross bear the wrath and anger of God towards sin. So Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. They don't yet get it. They're not yet comprehending it. See, friends, the only reason you and I this morning can understand resurrection is because we got to resurrection through Good Friday. There is no resurrection on Sunday morning if it is not for the sacrifice of Christ on Good Friday. Good Friday weaves into your heart and into my heart and into your mind and my mind an understanding of just how glorious and great and miraculous resurrection 
morning truly is. And perhaps you're here today, and like Martha and the disciples, you hear Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life, and you think, what's the big deal? Might your lack of understanding be, friends, that you've never gone through Good Friday. You've never understood that Jesus, just two days ago, died a sinner's death. And why did Jesus have to die a sinner's death? Jesus died a sinner's death because we sinners had no way to have our relationships with God forever restored. We had no way to have our sins eternally forgiven. We were stuck in this cycle of year after year after year having to wait for the day of atonement and just for that one moment as that goat was sacrificed and the escape goat was sent out of the camp just for that one moment. we would comprehend and understand forgiveness of sin and then yet be stuck in a cycle for day upon day upon day of carrying the burden of sin. See, friends, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. What your rebellion against God, what my rebellion against God has earned for me is death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. But Jesus, but Jesus on Good Friday died a sinner's death. And in that moment, friends, the Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin. Jesus, the perfect, sinless, Son of God takes upon the sins of the world. He bears the weight of your sin and my sin. He not only bears the weight, he pays the penalty. And this is why we call it penal substitutionary atonement. Jesus paid your penalty. Jesus paid my penalty penalty. He did it in my place and in your place. And when he did it, it was an atonement. He satisfied the wrath and the anger of God towards sin. You'll never understand the goodness and the greatness of Jesus' statement that I am resurrection and life until you understand the sinfulness of your heart and your life apart from Christ. So Jesus arrives into a hopeless situation of death, and Jesus utters these words, I am the resurrection and life. Jesus is begging Martha to turn her attention to settle the center of her life upon this confession of who Jesus is, and Jesus moves from the dead to the living. There is hope, friends, 
for those who have preceded us in this journey of faith who have trusted in Jesus even though they have died. In fact, that's the purpose of the text that we read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 earlier in our service. That's the struggle in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. The church at Thessalonica is concerned. They heard this narrative that Jesus would rise from the dead. Some of them perhaps saw him ascend into the heaven, and they heard that Jesus was coming again. But the problem was, in between the hope of Jesus' return was the reality that some of those believers were dying. And they wondered, is there any hope for me? And this is what Jesus writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Yes, the dead in Christ shall rise first. There is hope for those who have trusted in Christ, who are lying in the grave. That is not the last statement of their lives. And friend, this is what Jesus is exclaiming this morning. Though you die, because of your faith in Christ, you shall live. And look what he says. And those who live and believe in me shall never die. See, friends, this is the hope of Jesus. This is the hope of eternal life. This is the hope that Jesus is pleading with Martha to believe, to accept, to respond rightly toward. Jesus is not erasing the truth that for those of us who live at this moment, if we trust in Christ, that we will never experience earthly death. Unless Christ returns, we will all experience earthly death. But don't miss it, friends. Jesus isn't talking about an earthly expression of life. Jesus is talking about eternal life. See, for some of you this morning, you are so caught up in the here and now that like Martha, you can't understand or comprehend that there is a greater glory or a greater future because your current circumstances have you completely blinded and unable to see. And the Bible says that we're blinded and unable to see because of our sin. The ruler of this age, Paul exclaims in Ephesians, has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe. Friend, you will never see the beauty of the glory of God in Christ. You will never see the hope of eternal life while you remain dead in your trespasses and sins. And this is why Jesus <coughs> asked this most pointed question for Martha. And by extension this morning to you and me. Friend, the greatest question you can ever answer in life is the question that Jesus asks Martha in this narrative. 
Let me read Jesus' statement again. I am the resurrection and life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And here the question Jesus poses to Martha. Do you believe this? Friend, if there is one question that I would hope God by his spirit would ring throughout your mind for all of your life, it would be this question. Do you believe this? Have you trusted in this Jesus? Would you ask yourself this morning, do I believe? Are you trusting? Are you believing? Are you hoping? Not in your circumstances, friend. Not in this moment. Not in the pleasures that you have in this life. If you go on and read this narrative, it's, it's interesting. And more than likely, Martha and Mary and Lazarus come from a family of great wealth. At least great wealth in antiquity. If you read the rest of this narrative, you'll, you'll see that there are a lot of people who have made the journey, more than likely, from Jerusalem out to Bethany because of the prestige of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. They would also have to be a family of good means because they're able to host and provide for such a large gathering of people at such a moment as this. Martha and Mary and Lazarus, they more than likely had everything the world at the time had to offer them. But friends, a hopeless situation or all the wealth and pleasures of this world will never place you in a moment, in a time where because of either of those things, you can be made right with God. The only thing that makes one right with God is a right response to Jesus. So Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this? And look at Martha's response. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. See, friends, that's a right response to Jesus. That is a right understanding of exactly who Jesus is. And Martha, by faith, responds in a right way, and she shows us what the hope of Christ is for your life and for my life truly is. 
Martha began this, began this narrative with her heart being discentered, with her heart being away from Christ, with her heart not being centered on Christ. And now at the end of this narrative encounter with Jesus, look where Martha is. Martha has her life perfectly centered on Christ. What about you today, friend? What is your heart's posture before the eternal Son of God today? What is your life standing before Christ at this moment? <clears throat> the narrative would continue. Jesus would move from interacting with Martha to interacting with Mary. And after having interacted with Mary, Jesus actually makes his way to the tomb of Lazarus. And here Jesus peels back for you and me. He puts it on high definition for you and me so that we might clearly see. And look what happens. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Come out. Come out of that grave. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen stripes, strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Jesus does for us two things in the close of this narrative. Jesus points us to the hope and reality of resurrection. In case you're wondering, Jesus might be saying to the crowd, in case you're not believing, Jesus might be saying to the crowd, Lazarus, come forth! And there Lazarus rises from the dead. And that image images for you and me exactly what would happen with Jesus in the near future as Jesus himself responded to the voice of God as the Bible tells us God himself rose Jesus from the dead. But don't miss what that resurrection does for Lazarus and by extension will do for you and me. Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. See, friends, each of us, apart from Christ, are bound. We are tied. We are bound and tied up by our sin. We are bound and tied up by our hatred for others. We are bound and tied up by our disbelief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We are bound and tied up because we still, we are bound and tied up because we are adulterers 
who lust. We are bound and tied up because we are enemies of God, having created idols of our own making, displacing God from his throne and enthroning our own idols. You see what Jesus says? Do you see what the resurrection does? Do you see what hope and faith and trust in Jesus does? Not only physically, this is an image of what happens at the moment in which you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Jesus says, unbind him, untie him, and let him go. On this resurrection morning, on this Easter Sunday, would you today... Would you at this moment experience that unbinding? Would you experience that freedom? Would you experience Jesus as resurrected Lord? Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you have accomplished on our behalf in the sending of your son, Jesus. We thank you that through Christ, God, You have made us alive. That through Christ, you have forgiven us of our sins. And you've given to us the eternal hope of Christ. We thank you for this image of Jesus as resurrection and life. And we would ask, God, that by your Spirit and through your Word, you would compel us to believe in Jesus. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Would you respond to Jesus this morning? Would you hear those words of Christ today? Do you believe this? Friend, if you've trusted in Christ as a resurrected Lord, would you thank him this morning for his resurrection? Would you rejoice where you're seated today that Jesus has risen from the grave? Would you ask God to take that eternal truth and apply it to your heart in such a way that it increases your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus? In just a few moments, friend, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. And as we sing, myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. Friend, if you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, please feel free to come and visit with one of us. We would be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. But you don't have to come forward and speak to one of us. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you. And ask them the simple question, can you help me understand what it means to trust in Christ? There are plenty of people seated around you that would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Perhaps you're here and you'd like for one of us just to pray with you that the truth of this resurrection narrative would strengthen your faith. We would delight in praying with you. And thirdly, maybe God has impressed it upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Christ 
this would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being a part of this faith family. God, as we respond to you now, we ask that our response might be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?